cheese, milk and Coca-Cola. What do they all have in common? Welcome back for another episode of Cartmels in Conversation. I'm your host, Lara Elder, and in today's episode, we're going to look at some of the recent innovations in plastic packaging and the IP implications of those. I'm very happy to be joined by my colleague, Chloe Flower, who's a senior associate in our chemistry team. You might remember Chloe from a previous episode some time ago where we discussed the travails of Cuthbert the Caterpillar, Aldi's controversial take on Marks and Spencer's well-known Colin the Caterpillar chocolate log cake. So, Chloe, welcome back to the podcast. Very nice to have you here again. Thank you, Dara. When we were chatting earlier, you mentioned that your interest in this topic was sparked by by a humble trip to the supermarket. Clearly, we've got another tasty episode in store. So tell me what happened. So I noticed in one of my weekly shops that some of the packaging that I was looking at was changing. Things like Actimel, which is a frequent visitor to our fridge, no longer had this plastic sleeve around the little bottles. And one of our favourite brands of cheese, Cathedral City, had changed where its Ziploc was. Instead of it being along the long edge, it was now along the short edge. And it got me thinking. I wondered why these changes had been occurring I did some looking on their websites and it turns out it was all for sustainability drives or for ease of use. So in the case of Cathedral City, they'd relocated the zip to a shorter edge to make it easier to close. But actually in doing so, had the knock-on effect of using 6% less plastic in their packaging, which actually is some 40 tonnes of plastic a year. So yeah, some small changes maybe, but some big consequences of those changes. I'd spotted that too, actually. We're big consumers of Cathedral City in our house and uh, (laughs) that's quite incredible. I mean, you think about your own cheese consumption and 6% doesn't seem like a lot, but as you say, across a nation of cheese lovers, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's a big change. And I think there is a lot of pressure on brands to kind of make these types of changes. And I hadn't quite appreciated the legislative pressure that they face. So I think everyone might will remember that there's a plastic packaging tax that was introduced in 2022. And that was on the manufacturer imitation of plastic packaging components that had something like less than 30% recycled plastic. That was then followed by a government incentive called the Extender Producer Responsibility um, for plastic packaging, meaning that organisations needed to know where their packaging was going through, you know, from the moment they were selling those products all the way through to landfill or recycling. And there are associated fees and charges if, you know, the plastic was ending up in essentially the wrong place. And then some people might recall that in October this year, the government extended that ban on single-use plastics to include other food items so you can no longer go to Pret and grab a plastic fork to go with your salad or pick up a plastic coffee container because those have all now been banned. And it's not just policies and legislation or fines. There's also some various funding schemes that are going on. So the government's incentivising innovation in plastic packaging. Um, There's UK Research and Innovations Council's Smart Sustainable Plastics Packaging Challenge that's recently received a further uh, boost in investment funding to help entities develop new and alternative plastic packaging and recycling technologies. That's exciting. So it's the government using the old carrot and uh, stick approach, hopefully to good effect there. But it's not just government pressure, is it? It's all of us as consumers are increasingly aware of the 
damage we're doing to the environment, including with the everyday purchases we make in the supermarket. Yeah, I think we're making conscious choices to become more sustainable, avoid things like plastics if we can. There was a study in links with plastics free July this year that's indicated that eight in 10 consumers support the ban on single-use plastics. And consumers are more than happy to pay in addition for more sustainable packaging for their products. So it's kind of a a top-down and a bottom-up pressure that's driving all of these different kinds of innovation that we're seeing. For example, it's not just Cathedral City and Pot Noodle are also in on it. They've started trialing cardboard packaging again instead of their plastic pots. That's in certain supermarkets around the country. And then some of the supermarkets are also using vacuum packing just to reduce the overall quantity of of plastic that's used in packaging things like meat and sweets, even laundry products. And then entities like Coca-Cola, they've created a non-detachable cap. I think what was happening is that the screw top lids were being removed from the bottle and the bottle quite often finds its way to the recycling bank but the plastic cap was not so this idea of having a non-detachable cap means that the two should hopefully go through the same life cycle and find their way into the recycling system and other bottles things like milk I have made the mistake of putting the wrong kind of milk in my trolley looking only at the top is no longer an option because coloured tops have been removed from milk bottles. You can no longer go and grab a green top or a blue top. You have to look at the label around the outside because the colour in the plastic makes it harder to recycle. So that is kind of a different way to tackle the the issue there. That's definitely something I've noticed with my supermarket shopping. There are little changes, but there are certain things you suddenly realise you really rely on as a consumer when you're shopping and milk is one of those. You sort of rush along the aisle, you grab the one you want and now the colours disappeared, it makes quite a difference. But I hadn't reflected on why that was. Yeah, there's lots of innovation happening, I guess, outside of the supermarkets as well. I've already mentioned Pret and um, other fast food companies and restaurants opting to use recycled materials more frequently and new materials. So there's a London-based startup called Notpla and they've developed a technology to encapsulate a liquid, which means that you don't need to use a bottle, which is not necessarily practical for litres of water, but they partnered with the London Marathon back in 2019 and they designed their pouches called Uhu to contain leucosate. So there was no longer going to be the problem of littering the streets with loads of bottles. Runners could just pop one of the pouches in their mouth and it would disintegrate and they would get this liquid hit. So there's lots of new technologies that are evolving in lots of different sectors relating to plastics packaging. That's really interesting. I hadn't come across those products, but I can see how that would make a huge difference to events like the marathon where you just used to see thousands of bottles littering the street. I mean, there's the plastic, but there's also just the sheer mess that it creates and somebody having to go and collect all that up. Now, it all sounds really positive. Have you seen a change, any of this reflected in your work as a patent attorney? There has been a growing number of patents granted by the EPO in this area, which is obviously very encouraging. And with that, and an increased number of filings, of course. And interestingly, there are a lot of UK-based companies that are at the forefront of this innovation. For example, one company that came up in a recent review of their filings in this area was Mura and their subsidiary Renew ELP. And they've opened the world's first hydro 
plastic recycling system and that can convert plastic into shorter chain hydrocarbons at the composition of the plastic and those shorter chain hydrocarbons then become the basis for new plastics and new products and actually the reason it was flagged was that a lot of their applications are finding themselves on the receiving end of third-party observations so maybe this area is becoming a bit more contentious than it has previously been. Is it difficult to gain patent protection for these kinds of products more so than other things or are you seeing particular challenges in this area? Yes, similar challenges exist to when patenting new materials. So things like thinking about the terminology to define a new material. There's a new class of bioplastics which are being used for packaging. The term bioplastic has popped up in some claims but is quite a broad term. So that means that the claim can be subject to a clarity objection or even unable to distinguish over the prior art because it's not sufficiently defined. And then what happens is in order to define that term more clearly or more precisely, you start to incorporate things like functional properties or parameters. And the problem that when you claim a material with a parameter at the EPO, the current EPC guidelines require that there's a method for measuring that parameter in the claim. And so patentees are having to think a bit more about when they're filing the applications that they've got an appropriate definition for any terminology that's being used, as well as things like appropriate measurement methods if they're going to be relying on parameters to further define their invention. And then some other challenges kind of in the field of software. So there's a lot of innovation, I've said about this extended producer responsibility scheme by the government, whereby producers need to track where their packaging is in the system and ensure that it's ending up in a recycling or, you know, reuse scheme. And so there's a lot of software and systems that can be involved in this tracking of the packaging as it moves through this consumer life cycle. It's quite a common misconception that software can't be patented, perhaps stemming from Article 52.2 and the exclusion of programs for computers. But there are a fast growing number of patent filings in this area, and that suggests that companies are now getting more confident in obtaining patent protection for those software-related inventions. So it's kind of reflecting on if there's innovation in that technology, and then you've got a clear technical advantage, and if this steps of data processing and interactions between components are explained in detail in the patent spec, then you can get patent protection. If not, there are other IP rights that might be useful, like designs and copyrights that might play an important role in protecting software. So technical solutions to the packaging problem would likely qualify for patent protection, but things like improvements in the appearance of the packaging might be better protected again with a design or a trademark filing. We've already mentioned that if you want to go in and grab a product, then branding is important to that. So brands might want to take that opportunity to reflect on their branding and the different IP that they could use to protect that. I suppose there's the functionality of the product that needs to be good. That's what causes people to want to buy it again. But when it comes to actually locating it, it's the look and feel of that product that ultimately we as consumers recognise. And especially when it's something we're buying in a hurry after work on a Friday, running around the supermarket, it's the sort of look and feel, the design elements, the branding elements that cause us to reach for that same product again and not pick up something by a competitor. So I guess unsurprisingly, brands spend quite a lot of time and energy protecting these sort of more visual aspects. 
It's funny when you were talking earlier about the various things you'd noticed in supermarkets, I found myself wondering what's happened to Jif Lemon. <laughs> My trademark attorney hat on, I, I, it's an archetypal case that set the test in the UK for passing off, which is this sort of unregistered right, if you like, in the goodwill, the force that brings in customers, we say, that attracts consumers to come back and keep purchasing the same product again. And famously, that case invokes what's possibly the archetypal plastic package. I was looking it up and it was designed back in the early 1950s. For those who don't know, the very original one was literally a plastic shape of a lemon, including the sort of indentations you get on a lemon skin. It looked remarkably like the real thing, but it would contain concentrated lemon juice and you could squeeze the juice out of the top of the bottle. Apparently it was made on one of the first plastic blow moulding machines in the UK. I suspect not a sustainable, reusable plastic at that stage. I believe it's still available, but no doubt the materials that are used to make it have changed. But yes, I mean, the look and feel of the design of a product, I mean, there are all sorts of IP rights at play there. You've already talked about the patents in the technical aspects, but obviously you've got the unregistered right, the how it looks, what attracts customers to it, this passing off right. You might have copyrights in the look of the packaging. Also designs, we mustn't forget designs, both unregistered and registered. And trademarks, of course, which might be the name of the product, it might be a logo, but it could be something broader than that. You talked earlier about Coca-Cola and they actually have a registration for the shape of their bottle, their glass bottle. So yeah, lots of aspects there. Of course, the thing about the Jif Lemon case, it was based around unregistered rights and passing off, essentially. I think an American producer of a very similar product had tried to launch in the UK and Reckitt Coleman, who owned Jif Lemon at the time, had sued for passing off and said that there'd been a misrepresentation and they won. But there was a huge amount of evidence involved in that case because you didn't have a registration you could waive that defined the scope of your rights. And so there were surveys, what did consumers think, what happened when they went into the supermarket and saw the American manufacturer's product? Did they grab it thinking it was Jif Lemon? And in short, it was an expensive case. So there are some advantages to registering as well. All of that might have been a bit more straightforward had the rights been registered. Yes, exactly. Although it is, I mean, I've mentioned the Coca-Cola bottle, but it is really challenging to register a 3D trademark, the basic principle. And I do wonder what would happen with Jif Lemon now, if we're moving away from plastic. I wonder if those little lemons could be made out of a oohoo style material with a prolonged degradation rate so that you don't have these dissolved lemon containers on the shelves at the supermarket. A good thought. Or maybe they'll disappear. Who knows? I'd be a bit sad if they did this sort of a nostalgic memory from my childhood of pancake days. But of course, we have ready access to the real thing, fresh lemons these days, which perhaps in the 1950s was slightly harder to come by. Although there's a whole other debate there about the relative environmental impact of flying in fresh lemons from wherever in the world they come that is not the UK versus plastic packaging of concentrated lemon juice. But I'm not going to go down that uh, rabbit hole. It's a massive topic. I think we could talk about this for ages. But unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for today. If you would like to ask any questions about anything you've heard us discuss today, please do get in touch. Our contact details can be found on our website at www.cartmails.com. Otherwise, thank you very much, Chloe, for your insights today. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Cartmels and Conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it and hope you'll join us again soon. Mm-hmm.